Right, welcome. This is going to be a running experiment. Uh, so maybe the audio is going to be quite shit. But remember, I do the match for myself. Whether it's because the audience is about 10 people on average probably isn't that fussed about the audio quality. Anyway, I even wonder who's listening. You know, I've met some at a conference. <laughs> but the reason I'm recording this one is start preparing for this year's International Place Branding Association conference I'm going to. Because um, I've had to, you know, switch modes from my PhD as well because I can finally see the finish line, which is interesting. I haven't done it until this night. Uh, got family visiting, so I couldn't sleep very well after having to. You always switched on to answer all their questions about why the UK is a certain way compared to Bulgaria. And I realized I couldn't answer half of them, or some of them were just like my own inferences. That's bizarre, but couldn't sleep, so uh, I was doing some hardcore meditation for about an hour and a half and then amidst all of the relaxation it just started coming in i mean i've been analyzing a lot of the data from the phd uh, and i've got the core themes but i had just had on my to-do list to rename the theoretical you know the kind of literature driven concepts into okay so what's coming up my themes and renamed them and then they just started coming out when I started imagining them as uh, questions to ask in the next phase if there was a next phase uh, so the first theme is uh, you know, theoretically was broadly about the effect and emotions towards uh, place you have which I'd broken down just because in the literature it's broken down into place identity and place attachment and why how that's different you know looking at my my data place attachment by definition is a positive aspect but place identity when you uh, if you had to split them right so just because they're split into the, into the literature but you know people talk about them in my kind of interviews people were talking about them as uh generally one thing i mean my questions were ordered to, to ask them you know people about where they're from uh do they identify as you know uh, someone from that place do they identify as a local where they live these were the kind of place identity questions the place attachment ones were taken from a an article by Hidalgo and Hernandez, who studied people's place attachment to some island, I don't know which island. But it was a quantity scale that I thought, you know, might as well ask questions whether people are attached to the physical aspects, you know, landscape, to family and friends. So I just asked those qualitatively. So what came out with the place identity was fundamentally. Not fundamentally, sorry, I guess the, the right word on using a phenomenological approach is uh, essentially. So essentially place 
it then feels about belonging, sense of belonging, which following the chain, you know, after rounds and rounds of comparing these responses, I can say uh, can be, right? Because I'm not going to say is always necessarily, because it's not the kind of research I'm doing. I'm not trying to give you one solution, but it's, it's about what things are essentially, what they could be about. So, place identity could be about a sense of belonging, which gives you an aura of confidence. Uh, and wait, so it's belonging. Confidence. There's one more aspect. Damn it. It's escaping me. Let me talk about the first two. So, belonging, and that's where. It was always about belonging to a certain history. You know, someone talked about being, you know, uh, seeing themselves as part of a history of a fight between the Red Rose and the White Rose in England, uh, you know, because they were from Yorkshire, but they were living in Manchester right now, and they have a old school rivalry, historic one, and a part of geography. They mentioned, you know, I'm a, a Yorkshire Terrier from the Pennines. And, uh, I think it was a sense of community, yeah, because they were talking about uh, also giving examples of how they belong to not where they were originally from, but where they currently live, Manchester. How they pride, yes, pride, Jesus, so obvious. It's really weird how I'm rediscovering basic stuff, but you know, you just with no knowledge, you bracket your common sense knowledge and you make sure to try to look at what people say. So, pardon me if I'm like, speaking very obvious things uh, you know it's part of the of the process because we want to make sure we don't take it for granted and for obvious so yeah the pride like that was a very interesting discussion about running the local 10k in manchester after the manchester arena bombings where terrorists tried to bomb well they didn't try they bombed the concert and it was like you know manchester wouldn't be taken down by terrorists and pride in the city which then I found was interesting to be interesting to relate to uh, discussions that were very well captured by a discussion with one of the participants about how Lagos in Nigeria where they're from could uh, was basically exuding a, an aura of confidence so you have belonging yet pride Get a sense of confidence in yourself and obviously within the human geography literature we know that place is always very closely related to the self this is why you know i use it as a kind of an object of of attention because phenomenologically not that interesting the object you know i've got data on what people talked about when they talk about places you know the, the people the lifestyles all that but it's more about the process how they talk about it because I'm trying to get at their decision-making experiences and so they uh, and all of that was creating cohesion amongst the group but then there was a lot of discussion from participants about how that belonging pride and confidence when taken to the extreme for one group always made others feel like outsiders so 
Muslim participants were called uh, a witch that should go back where they came from on the bus. Uh, they felt like they didn't need to bring their religion or where they're from to the shop. You know, sometimes you just want to do the shop. You don't want to answer the questions about where is home home though. You know, where are you from from? But, uh, that's place identity. And what I've what I need to then do is make sure that I've ordered it into like what's central, so it's about belonging. And then as you concentrically go out to the relationships to the other themes, that's kind of still work in progress. But definitely the relationship with uh, place attachment is obvious because there is always positive aspects within place identity, but sometimes, you know, because it, it tends to be built around the history, one history, one uh, homogenous identity, tends to create friction for those who feel like outsiders. Whereas place attachment is an approach, you know, it's about increasing people's uh, positive feelings towards a place with the intention of making them stay together, you know, in place marketing terms, someone would, might see it as a metaphorically not exactly the same um, as uh, loyalty brand loyalty um, because you, you don't have to be from somewhere to find yourself attached to it so the themes there were more relating to aspects of feeling at home and what that was essentially about and kind of again within the the focus uh, was very well captured in a in a statement from a participant that talked about you know ultimately home is uh, where you're surrounded by the people you want to be surrounded by so you can switch your head off and chill now that's a very interesting one because of the original intention of, of the phd in looking at you know whether decisions of where to live are guided by rationality or intuition because uh, obviously you'd expect rationality to resemble in whichever way you define it, theoretically, uh, and some sort of a aspect of you know, using your head, using your, your brain. Uh, but actually, you know, is that where you're going to feel at home? At home is about not needing to think. And you know, one could theorize in many directions, which I'll I'll be doing as I go along, but I'll allow myself this tangent now to think about the glorification of head thinking, problem solving, which will evolve from certain types of problem solving. But when you're at home, do you want to be solving problems to feel at ease and to feel positive feelings? So, positive feelings and head thinking, yeah, not very connected and I guess I'll connect it here because again I haven't done the analysis for this while but to allow myself to associate and think uh, I've been reading a paper where because I realized as I was talking to people I had questions uh, about you know, did for each of the moves where people moved from a certain place to another whether they made this decision rationally and then I didn't have anything as a probe oh did you do it emotionally intuitively how just let them talk about it and then discussions about feelings emerged but nobody mentioned intuition I don't think there is a single mention of intuition or gut feelings 
which is where I came from, from within the literature, because that's how the opposition is put together. You either have your head or gut feelings. But it seems like in this context of place, because it's not a, a snap decision you need to make now, it's not like a leadership decision-making context. The context is one about longer-term commitments. Uh, people did talk about uh, using your head to set a direction. Yeah, sorry, you, following your heart to set a direction, but then using your head to evaluate uh, the best way forward. So both of those. And then I was like, okay, uh, you know, the heart is the same as gut intuition. Let's like turn a blind eye, force it back to the literature, but it's not. I, I then was like, wait, it's gotta be something different. And I just went back to some, to see if in the literature anyone talks about a split between head, heart, and gut. And then went to neuroscience as well. And there is a few papers that follow a chain of, of both experimental and theoretical work that splits out the heart is separate and shows how instruments that try to lump intuition and, uh, and heart, so gut and heart, together. Then when they use their data, I haven't finished the paper, but uh, there is a better fit for three-factor model, right? two-factor analysis and uh, I think principal component oh, I haven't finished the paper I'm not gonna pretend I know uh, but the takeaway is that the heart is different and I was like reading the paper and realizing it's not dual process theories are the dominant ones they won the Nobel Prize for Kahneman then on the other side you have uh, people like Gigerenzer trying to justify you know when our gun team pictures are actually right but no one's talking about the heart and like turns out it's not just a woo thing you know, oh you know lovey-dovey we have neurons as much as a cat's brain around the heart viscera separate from the gut viscera separate different so this is where i'm gonna delve into into it i think there's something there there's a contribution to talk about you know home is where the heart is it's not just an icy icy thing you know where does your heart tell you you should be going, right? Um, and then when I talk about your heart, you know, not to jump to just rationality and emotion, I ask a lot of questions from my participants about personal priorities, because at the end of the day, when people say, oh, there is variety in preferences, it seems to be the only thing where when you show there's variety and people go, oh, then there couldn't be any scientific finding. And it's like, there is variety of uh, within the different laws of physics, but then at the more abstract level, there is a formula. You know, it's not an equation. An equation has to be exactly right. But within a formula, you substitute x with multiple things, and it could still work, right? Or whatever. That's the difference between an equation and a formula. So I feel like in things looking at people, we we go either you know, confined, hardcore, consistent statistical data, there's variety, oh, there's variety, there's then anything goes. It's total relativism. Like, that's, that can't be right. So, the personal preferences, the core theme is that, obviously, yeah, personal preferences shift over time, and they change. But they change in life stages, right? It depends on what life stage you're in. So, this is how I'm probably going to order the presentation of my findings. 
uh, around the different life stages because I have people that are just finishing their undergraduate, people just uh, finishing their masters, a bunch of PhDs, mid-career uh, academics, and uh, I had a professor as well. So obviously I'm limiting all of this you know, to academics. I think it's actually an exciting way to, to look at the problem. I started from the idea of whether the creative class is defined by different Florida chooses differently to others, but actually, you know, I was trying to find a way to sample for the creative class and when you look at how it's contested based on its definition of both, you know, types of work and uh, human capital, it's a bit problematic. So I just wanted to stick to something that people can't necessarily argue easily against and academics, there is uh, pieces of work that have looked at how they make choices about where they live differently based on you know all of their different anchors that they have uh, from the standpoint of the institution the opportunity for research uh, but I'm looking at the, them as the the human problems right and then we'll we'll see where they go, where that goes so that's why yeah I'll see in the life stages how things are different um, so yeah, personal priorities I call them, I, I keep making that mistake of calling them interchangeable preferences and priorities. Sorry, my questions were about priorities, uh, prioritizing, because I wanted to see if there are any more ultimate priorities, the ones that are just ends in themselves. Like, you know, I just care about X, I just care about Y. As, not as a means to an end, but in, as an end to itself. Because in the literature uh, around defining people's core concerns, I found that that's a way to see whether there is something static, stable in people, because that's one of the things that in behavioral economics you would argue can define rationality. Do you have stable preferences? Uh, preferences and priorities. Damn it, I hate using them interchangeably. I need to make sure I check. Because preferences, I have looked at the work of Bourdieu around taste and preference, but again, that's probably slightly different concept. I need to look at that. Uh, and then on the side of rationality, rationality seems to be essentially, sorry, not is, can essentially be thought of as uh, being about avoiding regret, which was the finding that was not that surprising. Uh, you know, that's in line with some of the Kahneman work, you know, regret avoidance is big. You know, people would say in my interviews, you know, I've made this decision and 16 years later I don't regret it, even though the decision itself was to move away from New Jersey after 9-11 thinking that you know it's risky to live in new jersey when you know things were hit you could argue that's a bit irrational but you know uh moving away was not regretted you know but it's difficult in these subjective things to say something is irrational that's why i'm using a phenomenological approach i don't want to say make claims about being able to judge bias to bring us in too much of my judgment and finally and this is where the core of my contribution is maybe is about emotions and you know the softer aspects and in there there's a lot more work to do so by the time i go to the conference i'll have a bit more of a structure to this but up until then i'll probably record a few more things and see where it takes me